get up around 3.30 or 4, I would be in my chair by 4 to 4.30. And I would do all of the stuff where I needed to do that undistracted until 9. And then um, the rest of the team would start to come in, and then I would work from 9 until 5 or 6, just general client work. And then at 6, I would put away my computer, and then I would, I would get out my chop saw and start working on, like, actually building out the physical office. Hey, Webflailers, it's Jack, and welcome to episode 22 of Webflail. Today's guest is legendary in the Webflow space, Mason Poe, founder of Edgar Allen Studio. Edgar Allen won three awards this year at Webflow Conference, including winning Agency of the Year. An incredible achievement, and it's easy to see why after listening to their diligent founder in this interview. As someone that's been running his agency for almost 10 years, it's clear that Mason's experience gives him a unique insight into Webflow as a platform and the community. Mason talks about all sorts of different topics here, how a rising tide lifts all the boats within the Webflow community, how anger is a gift, how Edgar Allen is working to be the tip of the spear for the enterprise market and ambitions for 2023. Such a powerful episode, so let's get into this. Embrace and learn from failure in episode 22 of Webflow with Mason Poe. Mason, thanks so much for coming on the Webflow podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today. I am so excited to see the man that is of the studio who created Letter Run. So if anyone who's listening hasn't heard of Letter Run, possibly the coolest Webflow website I have ever seen. So to kick this off, tell us a little bit about the story of the project. And I think that will give us a really good flavor of you and the studio. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, Letter Run actually came to me on a run. I didn't name it at that point. It was actually named by one of our lead visual developers by his daughter. And we were trying to come up with a name and he was like, you know, what would you name it? And she said, Letter Run. And so that's where the name came from. But it was really just an idea of trying to think about like, you know, how to, we had this new brand and we had kind of um, some stuff that we wanted to play with in terms of the visual language. Um, My kids have been playing Among Us and we were thinking like the EA character sort of looked like one of the Among Us characters. And we were like, oh, wouldn't it be fun if we sort of dropped it into a world that was made up of the letter forms of Edgar Allen? And then it just kind of grew from there. And and we could have probably a whole episode on just what I'd say are like failures of building that project. If you had told me a year ago that it was going to take a year to complete, then I don't know if we would have started it. But we definitely learned a whole lot. And, you know, it was trying to think about how to take a different approach to Webflow and how to take a different approach to storytelling Yeah. And so you'd asked as well about like, you know, the roots of Edgar Allen. And I think for, for me, what I try to think about is that, you know, story is the most, the most fundamental way in which we come to know the world. It's how we, you know, we learn as children and how we hope to be remembered when we're gone. And it's a mechanism that's often associated with what I'd say is like storytelling. But if you can take a step back and think more in terms of story listening and how to look at like the structure of story and understanding like, that story is just made of characters that have uh, a point of tension in which they're trying to to address, then um, you can start to to pull a lot of power uh, out of that, and especially start to apply that into design work. And in fact, like you know, within design, we often talk about the customer journey, um, and journey is a shape of story. But you could also think about 
you know, like there's the customer bear at the door. So there's like about 14 general shapes of the story. Bear at the door is one where it's like something bad has just happened and what are you going to do? Or, you know, it's like the mirage where it's like there's uh, something just over the horizon that you're trying to get to. And um, yeah, but there's there's a whole lot of ways to be able to look at story and, and, and not just in terms of storytelling, but really in terms of story having. It's such an interesting like start to an agency because I think a lot of agencies don't necessarily think about their name as carefully as Egg Allen has for you. How how that tells the story of your agency as well. Can you give us a little bit of a flavor as to like why the name? Because I guess you get asked this the whole time because you're like, wait, you're Mason Poe. Why is it called Egg Allen? But can I just yeah. be that annoying guy just for anyone that is also wondering that question as well? Yeah, I'm I'm very thesis driven, and so again, trying to start with this idea of being story driven. I will say that I didn't name the agency. That was actually a friend of mine, um, Brandon Barr. Uh, and, um, you know, naming something is really difficult. But at the time, what I wanted was something that felt incredibly human. I think that in technology, sometimes we can become so enamored with the tech or like this sort of like shiny object type of thing or things that, you know, feel like rocket ships that we can forget that the main thing we're just trying to do is have one person talk with another and that they can start to understand one another. And I think that authors do a great job of that. Also, yes, my last name is Poe. And people have always asked me, like, are you related? And I can say now that I I am related. And coming off the back of what you just said there, I mean, Webflow is an amazing tool to bring your ideas to life. But I think maybe part of the problem with Webflow is that it's so easy to bring things to life. But unless you've thought carefully about the ideas in the content stage, then you, you can kind of just bring together a Frankenstein to life and that's not what we want. And I've noticed that a lot of people talk about the ease of use of Webflow, et mm. cetera, et cetera. But actually, sometimes that overlooks the importance of the steps before. Can you talk to us a little bit about storytelling? If someone's new to Webflow and they're like, I don't know what he's talking yeah. about. Like, <laughs> yeah. I make websites. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I've been working in Webflow for almost eight years. And Edgar Allen as a business is almost 10 years old. Um, and again, we started with this thesis of trying to be story driven. Very quickly, I learned that like our ability to be really great listeners and then be able to react within the market was inhibited by the tools that we use. Sort of the Marshall McLuhan idea here of the medium is the message. And so if your medium limits how you can go and have an idea and be able to turn that around, then you're not going to be able to, to do as much. And so I started looking at like, what's a tool that we could use to just shorten that distance and looked at a lot of different tools. I looked at Muse at the time from Adobe, and then there was like this AI thing and like all of these different things. And and, and I even found Webflow. Um, and I didn't believe in Webflow because I've seen a lot of marketing in my career and it just all felt a little too good to be true. But what I ended up finding was actually a video from Sergey talking about how he didn't get into, how Webflow didn't get into Y Combinator and their mission and like what they were trying to do is not build a web development product, what they're trying to do is build a way for people to express themselves on the web. And if there's anything that I think that we're guilty of within the Webflow community is sometimes we, we can become so enamored with the tool and that we can become so enamored with like, you know, the shiny things and that we can forget that, again, we're just trying to help one person talk with another, one person, you know, understand another. And obviously, those are through marketing websites or, you know, through kind of like commercial means. Um, but that's the the end goal. And I see that the first wave for 
Webflow has really been for designers that are technical. I see the next two waves is really, it's like the, and what I'm very excited about is for non-technical authors and really for, for writers. When we are able to really empower writers to feel as comfortable in Webflow as they do in say like Google Slides, then that's going to be a, a real tipping point. And I think the other group that I'm very excited about is developers. If there's anything that I think has maybe held Webflow back, it's the notion of no code. No code is a fantastic way to learn about programming, but at some point, like, it's great to be able to have people who know how to code within your project. And so we have a thesis, which we call some code um, or Webflow Plus. And so it's Webflow Plus, you know, how we can bring in writers and Webflow Plus, how we can bring in, you know, traditional developers. And that was a big part of, of even Letterrun is like that project, it's a Webflow project, but there's a ton of React code in there. I mean, there's a ton of just like code code. And what we wanted to do is, in, you know, there, and I think the show shows just sort of, sort of the power of moving beyond no code is that you can have what are these swim lanes of responsibility. So you can have a swim lane, which is for content. You can have a swim lane, which is for development. You can have a swim lane, which is for the visual um, uh, development part of this, which is like UI elements, how it all comes together, and that Webflow can become this sort of watering hole that everyone comes to to be able to work. I love that concept of a watering hole that it's kind of like the final point where all these different animals come together so that they yep. can kind of co coexist. So can I just focus in on someone that's starting out on Webflow and it's like, it's hearing all this and it's like, okay, this Mason guy, I definitely, definitely resonate with what he's saying because I'm trying to make websites, but I don't really know what they're about until I'm in the Webflow designer and I feel like everything's wrong. I need to focus more on um, the content side of things. Mm -hmm. How how should they begin thinking about that? I think it's a really good question. And what I would say is is this. And so I had you know I, I had two talks at a Webflow conference this year, and you know one was around the three D clubhouse of Letter Run, and the other one was with um, Matt and Emily on growing through collaboration. Um, and within both of those, if there is one thematic, it's that you don't have to go it alone. So I think it's how to go in and start to, one, recognize what your strengths are. And I think it's okay to like, yeah, like go super deep, get like super into the details. Like you don't have to jump to being, you know, like a content designer or like understanding like this crazy stuff that I'm talking about, like, you know, building a story-driven organization or anything along those lines. Like just get really, really good at what I would say is like building a wedge. So my background is like, I actually came up, you know, I'm, I studied English and philosophy in school. There's nothing that I can do kind of, I just like studied the stuff that I was interested in. But I started banging my head on the keyboard at the computer lab and started trying to think about like, I was like, oh, this internet thing seems cool. And I want to, I want to build it. And um, I started working in a program called Flash. And so I became an expert in Flash. Um, and as someone that doesn't have a design background, being able to have, have a small wedge where you can say like, I can solve this very specific problem for you. And at that time it was like, I was a really great like flash designer and developer and I could design and build and, and, and pop into a project. And I was able to then go and like work in big agencies and do a bunch of stuff without having like at that time was the traditional background. And so it's okay to like jump into Webflow and become an expert and then you know, really own that craft. But then there becomes a point where it's like, okay, now who do I start to work with? And how do I start to expand outside of that? And um, if there is an analogy that I would make, it's like, when you're becoming a musician, the first thing you do is you learn your instrument. 
And then the second thing you do is you learn who to play with. And then you start to learn like what you want to be able to say through that instrument. And so I think that's kind of like the stepped process that people can start to look at and think about like a roadmap for like, okay, how do I go from being alone in my basement, which is where I started uh, learning this tool to being successful and being paid for it and uh, being able to have a career. I love that advice though, that, you know, you don't actually need to know, you know, everything else, like you don't need to play all the other instruments, even if they are necessary to create the sound that you want, you can actually just uh, lean on people who may have those skill sets. I know that you're a big fan of, I mean, the Edgar Allan blog is legendary and you also personally write on that blog as well. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the educational side of Edgar Allen? Yeah, I think what we try to look at is documenting what we're learning. And we're, we're kind of like going up to the edges of what we know and then trying to come back to be able to share that with other people. Yeah. And then I think if, you know, back to that, that previous idea, if there's feedback that I have for the Webflow community or something that I see that I think as a group that we could be better at is that you don't have to do everything. You don't have to be just a solopreneur. I think career, you know, Webflow will grow and that your career will grow as you find other people to work with. Building those relationships um, is really where I've found success. Um, and that, you know, I think that at the end of the day, the business, it's a relationship business. So one way to build those relationships is just to try to be helpful. And so if, you know, it's like, as we're learning stuff, if we can go and document that and then put it up on the blog or share it out on Twitter, um, or, you know, have a newsletter, then that's one way to just have that, that back and forth and start to break out of like our own little bubble and, and find more people to work with. This notion of a rising tide lifts all ships. And what I've learned is just like the more that we share and, you know, we share some on like the tool side of it, but I think the thing that I'm trying to work with a lot of people on is really more on the business side. I mean, I send people like our entire estimates sometimes, like I've sent this to just like a handful of, of people to be able to show like, okay, this is what it looks like. Um, and I'm not trying to flex here. I mean, they're really good estimates, but I'm trying to show like, here's how we're breaking down a project. Here's how we're staffing for that project. And here's how we're charging for that project. And here's how we're delivering like at a certain level of service. Um, and so if we can demystify that sort of dark art of the business, then we're going to be racing towards the top as opposed to racing towards the bottom. Let's kind of rewind the clock and, and go into um, these failures. So tell me about mm-hmm. failure number one, about failing the third grade. Sure. And it's interesting. Um, so one, I'm so excited to be here and that when you asked me about my my three failures, um, I think one of the things that I mentioned is just that I have kind of like a complicated history with failure. I've always struggled within within school um, in third grade. So I went to probably like, I don't know how many different schools through my quote unquote academic career. Uh, I don't know how academic it always was, but you know, I'm, I'm wildly dyslexic and I just kind of think about things um, differently. I sort of think about things probably all at once, which can make reading difficult and reading comprehension really difficult. And yeah, like I was just, I was in this class and I wasn't learning. And so by about mid-year, I spent like the rest of the class, like literally underneath my desk, like I would come to the the classroom and I would just like sit under my desk. That was a big failure. And just in terms of like, I think experiencing failure as being told you're a failure. And so it's like, I was making straight Fs. I was uh, like not able to succeed within this environment and struggling to, I mean, as a kid, like you're just like, 
trying to do good stuff and then just not being able to to do that. If I was to think about it a little bit more, I think the one thing that it did do is it like I and and I think just school in general is like it probably made me better at sales and it made me better at kind of like emotional intuition because I always had to kind of figure out like what were the motives of my teachers? What were they really sort of after? Uh, and how could I understand them first as people so that I can understand what they were trying to to do? And it's really starting with that kind of like point of empathy for my my teachers. But that's my my first sort of uh, snapshot at failure. Um, the one great thing about third grade is that they had this thing where they had a competition for selling raffle tickets. And like I got for whatever really fired up about selling raffle tickets. And um, they had this Garfield phone that for the person that sold the most raffle tickets, you got the Garfield phone. And so... I like just pounded the pavement and I just like sold the heck out of these things. I don't know like how many, like hundreds of dollars that I sold, but I sold the most out of the whole school and I won the, uh, won the, uh, the Garfield phone. But, um, I think the failure there, the thing that I was able to work through is just basically starting to understand that, like, just because this was being projected onto me, that it's not who I have to be and that I can recognize the things that I'm not good at. Um, and then just like continue to kind of work through those. Fascinating response here. So while failure suggests an end, a failure suggests a bit of a splash in the water before finally coming up and then, you know, going on from there. And that school was pretty hard because school is not designed for people who don't fit into a box. And it sounds like you didn't fit into to the, the required box at your, your school. And that you realized that if you could understand the individual teacher's needs, then you could ensure that you could have like a working relationship, even as a yeah, child. Yeah. Yeah. And like a, I, you could get the best grades, I guess. Then yeah. Like whatever. I, I could just, I, I could get them to sort of like, like me or sort of work with me. Um, and yeah, like I, I definitely didn't fit into any box. And I think that as well within the Webflow community, like one of the things that I see, and you'll talk with like a ton of different people and there's so many people that come from so many different backgrounds that just sort of like don't fit in. And I think that's one of the things that's really powerful. Even, you know, thinking about like, you know, a tech community that's outside of San Francisco that's taken seriously. Like Webflow was one of the first companies that really like, like they were remote, like not everyone was in San Francisco. And um, I just remember thinking about how cool that was because as a company in Atlanta, like we weren't taken seriously before COVID because, oh my gosh, we're like in Atlanta. Like we're not as good as like a company in San Francisco or New York or, you know, Austin or something along those lines. And so I think being an outsider is definitely a big part of being like a web flower in many ways. Um, but like, that's where the innovation happens. And I think that's why you see so many different um, people that are coming together to try to like, you know, bring new ideas into the marketplace. Yeah. It's interesting, this idea of Webflow as a company being kind of mm-hmm. unique and a bit left field mm-hmm. in comparison to the, I guess, the state of affairs in tech generally. And mm-hmm. as a result, maybe that attracted thinkers that are a little bit outside the box as well in in like the tech sphere like you say i've never thought of it like that though it's interesting that observation yeah absolutely if you look at like i mean the core again it just comes back to people it's this relationship business the core of the company has has such great people that have been there for a while that have set a particular tone 
Um, and this isn't to just like try to put, you know, the, like every company is a mess in so many different ways, you know, like there's lots of different failures that are happening within a company. But yeah, I think there's a lot of really good values there that I think I've looked at and other people have looked at and try to reflect. Tell me about failure number two. At your last job, there was a time when you embraced the idea of fail harder. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, it was one of these things that you sort of read and you think about. And I guess it was also my way of trying to to deal with failure, thinking about again, like it, it's not that it was like failing third grade was just like such a traumatic experience, but it was definitely formative in a lot of ways. And long story short, like I was fired from my last agency. Um, and so I I ended up like I mission accomplished. I failed harder. <laughs> but uh, the the intent or the idea was just to not be afraid of trying things or not being afraid of like maybe like ideas. I think what I failed to see was maybe some of the warning signs within the company and warning signs of like, you know, what an agency shouldn't be. And, um, you know, it was, I learned a whole lot. I think that anyone that's starting out like, you know, sort of my story is like, I started out, I freelanced. Um, I then went and worked at a big agency and then I worked at sort of like a medium-sized agency. And like, I was able to learn a lot about like, how that world works. And I was able to do it on someone else's dime. And so at my last agency, you know, I was able to understand like how to put together a pitch and what is a, you know, P&L statement and like how to go through and hire and, you know, all of this sort of stuff. But what I overlooked was like, as I was going through the company, I was about, I was there like, you know, six years is that, you know, the company changed direction five or six times. There was like multiple layoffs. Um, there was all these warning signs of just like how I was creatively not getting along with, um, kind of like the leadership. And I didn't pay attention to some of those those warning signs. And then I found myself with, basically, my wife was seven months pregnant. Um, we, we had no real savings. Um, and I was fired. Um, and then just thinking about like, what to do next. Uh, so I, I think that put me in a, a really difficult situation. And it was something that on the one hand, like, I don't know if I would have done a whole lot differently. Uh, I was able to prototype a lot of like what it means to be uh, a story driven company. And I kind of got a lot of these ideas from that experience. And I worked with a really good friend, Emily Leahy, who's like, she, she sort of went back and forth with me on how you could go and use story as a part of your strategy and how you could use it as a framing mechanism. But then when I was kind of like outside of there, I had to reevaluate just like what was going to be next. The good part of this was there's this idea from a Rage Against the Machine song, Anger is a Gift. And I was pissed off. I was super mad. You know, like I don't, I, I think anyone that, that goes through this, like, you know, I was told I was a bad manager. I was told that, and, you know, there, there was all sorts of stuff that, that I, I was kind of experiencing at that point. Again, just like, you know, whenever you're, whenever you're fired, whenever you're laid off, like you lose a whole lot more than a job. Like you lose connection to kind of your social circle, like all of a sudden your worldview changes, like you have no real idea of like what you wanted to do. And what I saw was that the way that I had flailed was that I had started to work through just like what I wanted to see out in the world. And at the time I didn't see another agency that I wanted to go to. Um, it was actually, so it was 10 years ago last month that I was fired and I, sort of silently celebrate my fire and fire anniversary, uh, you know, as like this big, big turning point. But, you know, a lot of, I think the thing that I saw was just like the agency models oftentimes is, is broken. It's sort of focused on this hustle culture, um, which I think like that, that idea of like fail harder of 
just like go, go, go. And it's just like not healthy. And I've heard you talk about, you know, being proud that you haven't laid off any of your staff during COVID and the importance of agency culture. And I think a lot of people see employees as disposable. And it sounds very, very different to, you know, how Ag Allen thinks about employees and, uh, you know, the relationship that you have with them. And I'm going to read you a quote that I heard you say, if you want to start an agency, start an agency because you love to sell work and be around amazing people, which I love from the perspective of the do great work with good people and things work out. That's the general gist I've got from that. Is that is that yeah. fair to say? I think it is. I think that, you know, any company is really just the sum of the people that are there. And you can go back and look at like even um, Slack. Uh, I think there's like a great story there in terms of their their flailings, right? So they had started off, they were doing a totally different product, but the reason why they ended up getting investment was, you know, the 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 VC believed in the team. Um, and so we've focused on the team and like our, what I'd say is like company community um, from the very beginning and just looking at like, who do I admire and who do I want to sort of be around and recognizing the things that I'm not very good at and then finding other people that are really great at those things. Um, mm -hmm. I will say that, you know, as it relates to um, like not having layoffs and things along those lines, it's a scary time out there. And, um, you know, as a, as a business owner, like I'm constantly like the big thing that I'm doing um, is looking at what our forecasts are. There's a lot of things that are in your control. There's things that aren't in your control. Um, you know, I try to plan about uh, six to eight months in advance and I only have um, project visibility for um, maybe, you know, 30 to 120 days uh, at best. And, you know, I think if you're not careful, like that limited visibility can create um, challenges for just the health of the company. And I mean, like not having to lay people off or, you know, go through things that are, we're having to make difficult decisions. And so, yeah, and I'll also say that like, you know, I've had to, I've had to fire people from Ed Allen and like, I have a deep respect for what that means. I think trying to be a good manager is um, it, whenever that that happens, it's uh, difficult. Um, at the same time, you know, and I don't know if I totally believe this, but there's, you know, there is something that was told to me at my last agency that like um, this notion, like getting fired is the best thing that ever happened to me. And it's like, I don't know if that, I think there's other ways to be able to get there. Like I probably could have started Edgar Allen in different ways. Um, but I think at the same time, like just trying to be transparent and honest with like where the company is and where different team members are. And if there is kind of a misalignment or like, there's just not a good fit, then it is, I think the more like human thing to do to be able to say like, Hey, let me help you transition into a new role. And this is how we're going to start to plan for what that looks like. Tell me about failure number three. When you first started your business, you were working from 4am till 11 at night. What? What is happening? Talk to me. <laughs> yeah. Starting something is really difficult. And as I said, like I had something to prove. I wasn't just like in this for uh, for giggles. Like I, I really, I had a thesis that I wanted to be able to bring to life. In the first year, not only were we starting a company, but I was trying to build out like our, our, 
our office and get all of this sort of like infrastructure spun up. We now have no office. Uh, you know, we're totally remote. But, you know, at the time I saw this sort of relationship between the work that we were doing and then also where we were working. And that was kind of like a proof point to say that, you know, like we're we're building something that was real. So within, you know, my my schedule was is that I would I would get up around 3.30 or 4. I would be at the at the office, which at this time was at this place called the Goat Farm. Um, and I would be in my chair by 4 to 4.30. And I would do all of the stuff where I needed to do that undistracted until 9. And then um, the rest of the team would start to come in. And then I would work from 9 until 5 or 6 on just like just general client work. And then at 6, I would put away my computer and then I would I would get out my chop saw and start working on like actually building out the physical office. What ended up happening, though, was uh, I got a call from my wife at one point, and the feedback was is, uh, my daughter had asked if I was coming over today. And I think that was one of the things that just really, like, you know, shot me to my core of, you know, like, I didn't really get to see the family much for that first year. And even after that, you know, like, I, I still worked, I mean, the first first few years, um I generally worked from about four in the morning until six at night, but I didn't work weekends. And then I, um, I didn't work at night so that I could at least see the, see the family. But that was kind of an example. That was a failure of like me not respecting, you know, my relationships with myself, with my family, with just like the people that were in my life and in my life outside of, of work. And um, I think it's trying to recognize that like, yes, there's a whole lot of effort that, that has to be there in terms of um, getting something started. Um, but pace is uh, probably like the most important thing um, outside of that, because otherwise like you're going to like reach burnout or there's, you're going to burn out um, other people. And like, that's stuff that just like, doesn't come back. There's so, there's so much to this story. Something that springs to mind is, you know, in regards to what you're talking about, hustle culture being really damaging, but, but also, the gravity of the situation you were in, the the amount of drive you had from being fired, the amount of anger that was fueling this. And and to look at where Edgar Allen is now, was it worth it? Or was it just like, if I could go back and turn the hands of time, I would never do that again? It's a good question. And it's hard to say because, uh, you know, retrospect is this thing that you sort of just really can't relive and you can only kind of live the days that you have in front of you. I will say that again, like it's just so difficult um, to get something started. And the other thing that I found is that I wasn't as good of a manager. I wasn't as good of like a new business person. I wasn't as good of a designer when I was that tired all the time. And I would react poorly to um, client situations and client client services is so stressful and so difficult. And um, something that I've learned is that a big part of the managing the business is managing emotions and managing your emotions inside and managing your clients' emotions and managing your team's emotions. And if that emotion inside of you isn't in a good place, everything else like starts to fall apart. But I had to learn to be able to take a step back and, you know, again, getting away from the desk is so incredibly important. And that's the follow-up question that I had for you there. I mean, it, was that why running came into your life? We, we, or were you always oh, a runner? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, I, yeah. So, I, I mean, like I started running with my grandfather when I was a little kid 
And I didn't really like running for a long time, but I would say that as like the business has grown, I have started to run more. <laughs> and, you know, at first it was an activity that I could do with the kids. So, um, you know, the kids have really kind of grown up alongside of the agency and, and I could put them in the running stroller and I could go out on a Saturday and like spend time with them. Um, and we would run to Starbucks and get food and then um, kind of run back. And so I could be active and be with them. And then most recently, I mean, I carve out actually my Tuesday, Thursday, I don't start work until 10 because I'm running from about 730 in the morning until nine um, so that I can like have that think time. Like the, a thing that I want to be able to start in uh, 2000 and and 23 next year is this idea of jogger something i've been tinkering around with for a while it's uh comes from from a project we did a 5k back in 2014 um, called jogger and the idea behind the brand is actually not about running far or fast or even necessarily about running but it's just about celebrating activity through through movement and it's almost like um as an artistic expression as opposed to just like um a, an expression of sport and trying to set up a challenge of, you know, basically just getting outside and getting away from the computer. As as creatives, we often think that like we address the stress and anxiety through sitting at the computer and doing the thing. Um, what I've learned is that if I can take a step back and think about the thing or become kind of emotionally centered on something, then I will be able to have a better response or I'll know exactly what I need to do when I get back uh, in front of my computer. So there's two different kind of platforms or things mm -hmm. that you're working on that I've heard of in this episode. There's this kind of enterprise community platform thing. And then there's joggers for web flowers to come together and run or or maybe mm -hmm. anyone. Walk. Yeah, just get outside. Like, you know, I think I'm going to set a challenge of like one mile a day or maybe it's like three miles a week or four miles a week. Just like be able to get outside. Yeah, actually. So for next year, coming out of Webflow conference, the thing that I was thinking about, so there was a lot of talk around like superpowers and how Webflow gives you these superpowers. And so my question has been, and I think the question for you and for a lot of people within the community is like, what will you do with all these powers? What will you do with your superpowers? And that's something that I'm actively kind of working on right now. And, and I have, have a lot of ideas there that I'm trying to come emotionally um, ready to to commit to. I think that's probably where I, I can say I am. Oh, interesting. So potentially way more than than two ideas to come to life. I in... actually have four. <laughs> and four, that's like four outside ideas of... that you're seriously considering. Yeah, yeah. And so um Jogger is one. So Jogger is going to happen no matter what. There's something that I'm working on with Nelson, which like we just, there, there's parts of that which are within our control and there's parts of this which are within another organization. I really also want, so last year, um, and then if I was to kind of like put a kind of, you know, full bow on this, if there is a, it was a failure last year at Webflow Conference, it's that like we weren't nominated for anything. And um, again, I was kind of like, like I've never, I've never cared about awards, but just like there wasn't any work that we had done that was featured. And I, I felt like just like, 
you know, I'd, I'd apply to speak and we didn't get to speak. Um, we ended up like becoming a sponsor so that we could go and have like a sponsor slot to be able to to talk, but like we weren't as part of the, the selected group. And so I set out to try to like, I was like, we need to, I was like, I want to do something that's going to make an impact here. And so coming out of the last no code conference, then I, I was like, we're going to do something to make a splash. And so letter run was sort of part of that. Um, but, you know, I was like, okay, great. So I made a splash, you know, and like we were come, you know, we were, we were recognized. And now I see like, not that we've won an award. I, I see that it's almost like an ambassadorship. And my question is, is like, you know, how can I help to, so it's like the question is like, you know, what will you do with all with all these superpowers? Um, and I feel like we've started to develop some. And the thing that I, the biggest thing that I want to do is like help, you know, other people grow within their agency and then grow more of what we can do within within Webflow. And so the four programs that I'm looking at, um, like one of them is actually, um, I would love to have a a conference, a Webflow conference in um, Buenos Aires, like that's totally in Spanish. We have a push where we've been investing. So Webflow Cafe, you know, I'm the sponsor of that, but that's really Felix and Florencia and Pablo that are working on that day to day. And like, I don't jump on those streams. Like that is their community. Uh, I can be uh, an investor within that community, but um, really kind of like Webflow with beyond borders, you know? So it's like last year, the thing was like, let's push Webflow beyond its limits. Let's go and do something that's like totally ridiculous with like this 3JS stuff. And so now it's like Webflow beyond borders and looking at like how to have, um, you know, other communities, other ways that we can start to kind of gather around the tool, either, you know, getting away from the tool or, you know, in other languages or like, you know, other groups that we can impact or starting to look at like how to bring, you know, business owners together and have more meaningful conversations. Those are the sort of things that I'm looking at outside of like, you know, even the business, which, you know, I, I think that's like its whole other thing that I'm that I'm sort of working on. So what is your next flailia going to be? I don't know. I think every day is like some type of new failure. And if even if anything, you know, I think that something that I struggle with is having so many ideas and then thinking about just like how to be able to bring them to life. And that's the thing that I'm, you know, it's like, I haven't even talked about like the things, you know, it's like, we have big stuff that I want to do within the business around like helping to go up market uh, within, within Webflow and like really starting to be what I'd say is like the tip of the spear for the enterprise market and helping to bring, you know, more of these, these people along um, that are uh, just starting out and things along those lines and being able to help them ladder up so that they can get bigger and bigger clients. So that's the thing that I'm, I'm probably like, you know, struggling with, um, but I hope to really, you know, start to have, I think, the the emotional commitment to some of those ideas and be able to share more details of that um, in the next coming weeks and months. Thanks so much to Mason for coming on the Webflow podcast, and thanks for listening to this episode. The part of the episode that really stood out to me is where Mason tells the story of his daughter asking his wife, whether daddy was coming over today. Not only is this story heartbreaking, but it shows the perseverance and sacrifices that founders make to set up and run a studio. And then after putting in huge effort to set up the agency, Mason explains it requires building relationships to grow an agency's client base and then team. I'm excited to see all the Edgar Allen community projects coming in 2023. 
Next week's episode will be a little bit different. My podcast editor, Will Radley, will interview me about my three biggest failures. This will be released after Christmas, so hope you all enjoy some family time. Until then.